listening to Pat O'Keefe. Did you see the initial returns for fan voting of the NBA All-Star Game? They released, I think, the top 10 of guards. Brunson was middle of the pack, fifth or sixth. And then they released the top 10 of frontcourt players. Not on the top 10 in the Eastern Conference, Julius Randle. Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges with, what, a fraction of the fan base and not as good or productive a player as Julius Randle somehow is in the top 10. It's funny. People just, I don't know what the reason is. And I understand his game is not for everyone, but his production should be for everyone. After after all these years, there are still people that just can't get on board with Julius Randle. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. I mean, the guy is, I'm talking about Julius Randle now, hour number three, by the way. The guy's going to go down as one of the most productive Knicks over a long period of time in the history of this franchise. So those of you who never liked Randle from day one, A lot of it stems from the Kevin Durant-Kyrie Irving thing, by the way. Because Randall was the quote-unquote consolation prize. Knicks fans, as they were sitting through David Fisdale's nonsense and a 17-65 and season, were hoping for Zion Williamson and winning the lottery and were also hoping for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And when Durant and Irving went to Brooklyn, then the Knicks had to pivot and they signed Randall. They signed others, but Randall was the headliner of that class. And I think Randall, from the beginning, caught some of the residual disappointment from fans because he wasn't Durant and Irving. By the way, Julius Randall has won as many playoff series in a Knicks uniform as Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving did in Brooklyn Nets uniforms. By the way, he's going to go down as one of the... So Knicks fans who don't like him or aren't on board with him need to, you know, just prepare yourself. If you're going to be fans of this franchise going forward and in an historical context, you need to prepare yourself for the fact that whenever his time in the orange and blue is done, he's going to be one of the most productive players that has ever worn that uniform. And then as far as free agency goes, you could probably say he's the second best free agent signing in the history of the franchise. Second to only his point guard teammate. I understand free agency hasn't been around as long as the franchise itself. But it's funny that despite all of that, there are people out there that are not on board with Julius Randle. All right, let's go back to your calls, 1-800-919-3776, and let's go to Michael in Manhattan. Michael. Happy Saturday to you. You too. Uh, by the way, this is an aside. I, I loved watching Bernard King play, hated watching Carmelo Anthony play, because um, I heard you mention him a couple times today. But this thing with quickly, the thing people miss, with, uh, the reason why they miss him is because he was great to watch. He was a fluid player. You know, he was from, he was homegrown kind of. And I would have loved to have seen Grimes go with a number one or number two and quickly kept. Um, Here's what I heard. I heard Kendrick Perkins say last night uh, that he would not be surprised if the Knicks got to the Eastern Conference Finals. I say get to the NBA Finals. It's been 50 years. Forget the mindset of, oh, Milwaukee's better, Boston's better. Get there. Look what you did last night. 
on, let's take Milwaukee, for example. Chris Middleton is not the same player he was for, because of the injuries. Lillard is untested in championship press, uh, pressure situations. And I'm so impressed with Hartenstein. This guy is good now, and he's not scared of anybody. And I want to call out the last thing I want to call out Becky Hammond for saying Brunson is too small. Uh, not so. He's great. He's been great. The Knicks can get to the NBA Finals. Go. Michael, thanks for the call. You did omit one fairly decent Eastern Conference team. Did he not, guys? I heard him mention Philadelphia, and I heard him mention Milwaukee. Yeah, no mention of Boston. Right. (laughs) They're still in the East, right? (laughs) Last I checked, yes. They're not playing the Western Conference schedule. Look, that would be great, right? They're, They're better now. They're better equipped to get to the NBA Finals than they have been probably since the last time they went to the NBA Finals. But there are still some serious impediments in their way of doing that. And he said it's been 50 years. It's been 50, well, now 51 years since they won a championship. It's been 25 years this year. This will be the 25th anniversary of the Knicks' last trip to the NBA Finals, 1999. Let's go to John in Astoria. Hey, John, what's going on? I think everyone needs to relax. Uh, This is the best Knicks team since, like you said, the 70s. Uh, Better than the Mellow Kid Knicks, better than even the Ewing Knicks. They're better composed than those teams were. Like, it's everyone needs to live in the moment, soak it all in, and just enjoy it. Because, like, for the last 20 years, it hasn't been like this. We haven't been able to enjoy it. So just take, take it in, man. I don't see the purpose of, like, stressing what's the, like, free agency with these players. We're, we're good. We're good, and we should enjoy it. And getting better. And that's the key here, John, and thanks for the call. Um, Joe and Harvey, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do, is there a possible way to get the audio of Randall with um, Malika Andrews from yesterday? Did you, did you hear that interview clip? If, if is, not, no big it, deal. I can paraphrase. He was on NBA Today with uh, Malika Andrews, Julius Reynolds. It's on ESPN.com. Uh, I saw it, a clip of it. Essentially, his point was that the Knicks are getting better every single season. And there is something to be said for that. All right, Everybody just assumes the only path to the finals, to a championship-caliber team, is to bring in a superstar. That is easier said than done. Right. Let's go through the list of superstars. Who who's coming to New York? Embiid is he coming here? Is Giannis coming here? Is Steph Curry coming here? Uh, is Luca coming here? Is Devin Booker coming here? Is Kevin Durant coming? No. So in the absence of that, then what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to um, throw your hands up in the air and say, "All right, well, when a superstar becomes available, wants to come to New York, let me know. We'll bring him in and we'll try to get to uh, championship level of success." Or do you? continue to get better as a team by keeping the group, the core group of the team together, by making incremental improvements to that roster, by finding guys who, although their stats might not be as gaudy as others, their fit is better than that of others. And that's how you can also improve a team. That's what the Knicks are doing right now. That's essentially what Randall's answer was to the question, do the Knicks need a second star or another, not a second star, they have two stars. Do they need a superstar? The Knicks don't have a superstar. There's like six superstars in the NBA. Jason Tatum, is he coming to New York? And he might not even be a superstar. Is Shea Gilgis-Alexander coming to New York? No. So what are you supposed to do? Just pack up and you know throw the balls out and 
you know, we'll win our 45 games and we'll go home and we'll be okay with that? Or do you want to try and fight through it? That's what the Denver Nuggets did. They got better and better and better over time. They got lucky with Jokic. Lucky in the fact that they picked him 41st and he turned into one of the greatest big men in NBA history. Okay? That's lucky. It's also, they deserve a lot of the credit for making their own luck by making that selection. But then Jamal Murray was not an obvious pick at number seven coming out of Kentucky. He's turned into a borderline all-star guard. And then you just make improvements. You bring in Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who earlier in his career was kind of a frustrating type player. Later in his career is a seamless fit on NBA championship teams, whether the LA Lakers or last year the Denver Nuggets, and he's still there. And then you find that missing piece, which last year turned out to be Aaron Gordon. He was available a couple of years ago from Orlando. They pounced at the right time. And next thing you know, they have a championship, not championship caliber team, a championship team. Let's go to Mark in Valley Stream. Hey, Mark. Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so I just want to comment, you know, in defense of Julius Randle. And I'm, you know, it's very tiring and frustrating to hear people who don't appreciate this guy. You know, what we have here is a legitimate bona fide power forward who uh, doesn't get injured and he can grab a lot of rebounds when he wants, but the guy shoots threes. That's unique in this league. He shoots threes and he can shoot threes unconsciously. And it's crazy when people, I mean, I understand that, you know, he complains to the ref. Uh, it's not a good look, but and he sometimes jars with his teammates, which is also not a good look. But uh, the guy is a is a bona fide is a bona fide all star, and you know he has done a lot for this franchise for the last few years. And you know, really, we really need to cut him some slack. Well, he is, um, and that's the paradox, Mark. Thanks for the call with Julius Randle. The biggest criticisms of his game as a Nick, have been his shortcomings in the playoffs. And as I and others have stated many times, the Knicks don't go to the playoffs, either in 2021 or in 2023. They don't sniff the playoffs, either of those two years, if it's not for Julius Randle. And that's, he's he's been a complicated figure in New York, just in terms of how he's treated and how he's received, because it's not it's not always smooth sailing. I mean, look, the caller pointed out a couple instances where he had brush-ups with teammates or an assistant coach last season. You haven't seen any of that this season. Those are few and far between. They happen in professional sports. But because they're out there, you know, people tend to kind of look at him a certain way. Let's go to Dave in the car. Dave? Hey, Pat O'Keefe. Oh, man. I remember when you were talking, I had called and spoke to you, and um, and it was during the time when everyone was on vacation, and you was with uh, the other the other host, I forget his name, but um, I, I called, I said about your ridiculous takes, and here we go with another ridiculous take about, you talking about Randall like he's a bona fide superstar. No, I'm not. Listen, I never used Randall, that word. I never said he was a superstar. Well, well, still, I just said you, there are like six superstars in the NBA, and the Knicks don't have... Dave, like Dave, he, you're yelling like at me. Why, Dave, Dave, why are you yelling at me? I'll let you talk. Okay. Just don't yell All at right. me. Okay. Okay. Right. He's. I never what, said he was a I'm superstar. Get at, what I'm trying to get at is that basically, Randall, he still has issues when it comes to that doesn't ever change as far as why they call him Randall 
handle because he sits there with the ball and 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 then throws grenades when it's like five seconds left on the clock. And just like that other caller said, he drags on the court all the time. All the and time. Brunson be playing the same amount of minutes as him, and you don't see him dragging down the court like he do. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not like he's a seven footer. It's not like he's Anthony Davis or something. I mean, everyone's running up and down the court. He's always dragging. Dave, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Okay, so you started the call by saying that he's not a superstar. And I agree with that. He's not a superstar. There's only a half dozen of those guys in the NBA. But it sounds to me, based on your description of Randall, that he is – are you a Knicks fan? Partially. I'm a LeBron fan, but I'm from New York, so okay. I'm a root for the Knicks. All right, so you root for the Knicks. So it sounds to me, based on your description of Julius Randle, that he is the type of player that you have absolutely no use for on this team. Is that fair to say, or am I misreading your description? What I'm saying is he plays like he's in the 90s, and this is 2024. Like, he looked like Anthony Mason coming down the court. I, I mean, seriously, it's not like he, I mean, you have to have that bolt of energy. And, yeah, he can shoot. He can't dribble. I mean, yeah, he can get rebounds, but he throws, like I said, he throws grenades, and that's that's nothing new. So that's why I, I want to see him improve on his game on those aspects. As far as, you know, what, what, I mean, you can get somebody, a dribbling coach, to help you out. I mean, he, he sits there with his back to the, to, to, to the rim. And and plays don't play like that anymore. Dave, Dave, I mean, thanks, I mean, thank, th- thanks for the call. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so he's like Anthony. First of all, Anthony Mason. I think that was meant to be a um, a derogatory comment about Randall's game. Although Mason from those '90s Knicks teams was one of the most beloved and respected players on those teams. Also. A couple things about Anthony Mason, as I saw his entire career in New York. He actually had a fantastic handle, and he could not shoot a lick. So our caller, in comparing Randall to Mason, said that Randall has a terrible handle, but can shoot the ball. So that, to me, um, is the exact opposite of what Anthony Mason was. He was all over the map there. And what do you got, Joe? You want to jump in? Was Anthony Mason the one that put the NY in the it side was. of his head? He put all sorts of you know sayings and slogans and logos in his head, yeah. I know that uh, Josh Hart did that last year with the Braves. Maybe that's what Ju- Julius Randle needs to do. Maybe he needs to put an NY in the side of his head to, <laughs> to endear some of these Nick fans to uh, get on his side. Wow. I didn't say Randle was a superstar. I mean, here's the thing. Is Randle a perfect player? He's not a perfect player. There, 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 first of all, there's no perfect player. Um, you know what the Knicks would be if Randall was a perfect player? They would be NBA champions. But because he's not like most, there is still work to do to get to that level. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. It's the ESPN New York Super 6 Box Bonanza 5. Starting this Monday, we're giving away over $10,000 in cash and prizes. All qualifiers will get a $25 Fanatics gift card and a chance at one of 10 Super Boxes with prizes including a big screen TV, PlayStation 5, MetaQuest, and much more. Get your box for the big game by listening to DPHO and Rothenberg from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., Barton Hahn from noon to 3 p.m., and the Michael K. Show 
from 3 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. for a chance to win $500 in the first and third quarters, $1,000 at halftime, and a final score payout of $2,000. It's all brought to you by Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey. For full contest details, go to ESPNNewYork.com. So it's week 18 in the NFL. Once again, the two local teams, the Giants and the Jets, are are relegated to playing out the stream. Both of them, interestingly, against teams within their division with whom they have had an extraordinary amount of trouble beating in the last decade plus. The Jets have lost 15 games in a row to the Patriots. Tomorrow, it's a game that, as far as this season goes, and the standings means nothing to either team. But as I discussed on the Michael K show several times last week, especially in the aftermath of the Jets really laying another egg in their primetime matchup to the Cleveland Browns, at some point the Jets have to make a stand against the Patriots and against Bill Belichick. And I don't know if this is his last game, if he's on his way out the door or not, but this is the worst Patriots team that he has ever brought into a matchup with the New York Jets. And we know that Robert Sala... And Joe Douglas uh, and Nathaniel Hackett, they're all coming back. The regime, the brain trust, if you will, of the Jets, they're all coming back next season. So this group needs to prove that they could beat this behemoth of a franchise in their own division that has mopped the floor with them for the better part of the last decade. And if you can't do it now then that's a problem. Not that the Jets are any great shakes, especially with Trevor Simeon starting at quarterback But the Patriots are in line to be the second or the third pick in the NFL draft. You're never going to have as easy an opportunity to beat this New England team as you have on Sunday. For the Giants, it's a little more complicated because the game may mean something to Philadelphia. It might not mean anything to Philadelphia. You want to put this streak to rest, the Giants having gone so many games without beating the Eagles also. Last year, Philadelphia ended their season, and it wasn't even close. They played Week 18 last year also. That was actually a close game where Philadelphia kept their starters in for most of the game and barely held off the Giants and quarterback Davis Webb. But again, the Giants' biggest problem, really since their last Super Bowl, which is now more than a decade ago, the two teams in their division have just absolutely pummeled them year after year after year. The Cowboys continue to do so. And then, yeah, the Giants played the Eagles well on Christmas night in Philadelphia. Eagles held on to win that game. It was the only one that they've won in, I think, the last five weeks. But at some point, you've got to beat this team. There could be an opportunity for the Giants because Philadelphia and the Giants will be playing at the same time as Dallas and Washington. If Dallas wins that game, they're going to win the NFC East. They would lock up the number two seed, and that would mean that the Eagles would be the number five seed, which would make their game against the Giants meaningless, which means that they would probably start to pull Jalen Hurts if he's not benched already and some of their other star players so that's the weekend for the two New York teams no ramifications whatsoever in the Jets Patriots game and in the Giants Eagles game the only playoff ramifications involve the opponents let's go to Tommy in Connecticut checking in Tommy what's up yeah good afternoon bud how you doing just uh you know you you touched on it perfectly so you know I'm a huge Giants fan I I know you know there's really no game for the Giants winning, but 
um, I just heard so much chatter this week, whether it was callers or hosts, you know, playing armchair GM, trying to root for their teams to lose, you know, to, you know, have a two difference pick, you know, in the draft coming up. Listen, I'm a giant fan. I hate the Eagles. I despise the Eagles. And I think Donnie said it uh, yesterday. You're only guaranteed to watch your team 17 times a year. I'm going to, I want, I want to see my team win. So no, I'm not going to, you know, I just, it drives me nuts, Pat. What are are your thoughts on that? We talked about it a lot last week, Tommy. Thanks for the call. The the way you, yes, it's obvious that if you lose, then your team is going to get a better draft pick, but it's very difficult to sit down in front of a game and in, especially football where it's once a week and it's for three, four months a year. And then it's gone for like eight months. It's very difficult to sit down in front of a TV and watch your team and actively root for that team to lose. And I agree in the sense that I absolutely hate that this has become such a topic of conversation. And it says a lot, by the way, about the state of the two local teams, that outside of last year, where the Giants made the playoffs and the Jets were in the playoff hunt until about two weeks to go in the regular season, but outside of last year, that's what every single football season has been like in New York since 2016, is you get to December and you talk about your team losing to improve its draft position. The only time it ever made sense, and shocking, the Jets screwed it up, but the only time it ever made sense was the year that it was Trevor Lawrence available. And the Jets went out and they won that late game against the Rams and they jumped ahead of or behind, however you want to look at it, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville got Lawrence, who, by the way, the jury's still out on him, even though it looked like he was way to being a top quarterback last year but I think we can all agree the early returns would suggest that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a more productive NFL quarterback than Zach Wilson but that was you knew the guy you were you know quote-unquote tanking for back then you know going from nine to seven you don't know who's going to be available and I you know I'm, I'm I'm sick and tired of all the conversations about tanking especially in football, where it is, you know, a football Sunday is such a fun and a special thing. You sit down, you watch your game. It basically sets the tone for four months of your year. It sets the tone for a third of your year. Every year, from Labor Day till this weekend, you know what you're doing on Sunday or Monday or Thursday or whatever it's going to be. You know you're going to invest three to three and a half hours to watch your NFL team, and that's why the sport is so popular And that's why the sport is so successful. It is week 18. We'll take a break. We'll talk more about it with our guest when we come back. Uh, Gary Myers, longtime football writer here in New York. His thoughts on the final week of the regular season where the Giants and the Jets go from here. And, of course, we'll talk with Gary uh, about his new book, Once a Giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football, which I read and would highly recommend. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Gary Myers, covering gang green and big blue. Gary Myers, breaking down football every day. Gary Myers, <laughs> now don't sports with Michael Gay. Well, how's that for a uh, rejoin right there? Not every guest comes with his own theme music, but uh, we welcome in longtime NFL writer, 
uh, Gary Myers, and of course, multiple time author as well. Gary, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, Pat. How are you? It's nice to see you uh, resurrected the jingle. <laughs> I, I wasn't even aware of the jingle until I heard it right now, but I love it. <laughs> yeah. It got me, uh, well, got me toe tapping over here. Michael's first started, I was just going to say, when he first started doing the show, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, uh, they came up with that jingle and they've modified it a little bit over the years and it's still sounds great. Alive and kicking <laughs> and still in the vault, which is nice to hear. We'll get to uh, your book in a couple minutes, Gary, but it's uh, it's out. It's been out for a while now. Once a Giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. But, you know, as we come to the end of yet another disappointing football season here in New York, wanted to get some thoughts from you on both of the local teams. We'll start with the Jets because, you know, I, I would think that you would probably agree, maybe you don't, that they've had the more disappointing season considering what the expectations were with Aaron Rodgers and everything at the beginning of the year and considering where they are right now. And it's funny, I, I don't know if you were listening in before the break, but we had a caller you know, talk about his dismay for the continued and the constant conversations about teams losing at the end of the season and tanking, and, and here we are once again. So my question for you, as far as the Jets go, how, how would you approach this week? Because obviously, for both teams, a loss improves your draft positioning, but at some point, I would think that the Jets need to prove that they can beat this franchise. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Let's make one thing clear. You know, players never tank. I mean, they're, they're fighting for their jobs, whether it's with the Jets next year or putting something on tape that will get them a job uh, with another team. So tanking, they're not looking to lose a game so the team can go draft somebody to replace them. I mean, that runs contrary to everything you think would be going through their mind. Now, the, the coaches can tank by how they deploy the personnel or the general manager can tell the coach, you know, let's play the young guys, but – I, I don't know, you know, short of sitting Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and Sauce Gardner and the Williams brothers, I mean, does it really make, you know, how, how are they going to tank? And they're not going to sit those guys. So the, the players want to go out and win. They want to break this losing streak uh, against New England. Uh, the players are not worried about where the Jets are drafting next year. But the fans are. And you can understand how, on the one hand, it would, could be Belichick's last game for the Patriots and, you know, Jets have lost like eight years in a row to them, that they want to send them off with a goodbye loss. Uh, on the other hand, once that wears off and it costs the Jets some spots in the draft uh, and every spot counts, they might regret winning that game. So I, I think the fans probably have mixed emotions. I, I know for a fact the players don't. The players want to win. Gary, you have seen and covered and been around a lot of Jets heartache and a lot of disappointing seasons. Where does this current season rank in your mind? Um, I, I've been around the Jets forever, and I would have to say based on expectations and then what the results were, this is probably the most disappointing season. Uh, the other one I would point to is 1999 when the Jets were coming off the AFC Championship loss in Denver, and they really should have won that game. You know, Vinny had a great season, and the Jets blew a lead in the second half of that. But then Parcells really loaded up in 99 to make a run for it, put a lot of veterans in, and then Vinny tears his Achilles in the first half of the first game, which sounds awfully familiar. Yeah. Um, and they did wind up finishing 8-8, eight eight, but I thought Bill gave up on the team 
through the first two months of the year that he was just so down in the dumps about Vinny getting hurt that until he put Ray Lucas in about halfway through the season, I didn't think Bill had much interest in what was going on there. So I say that was a really disappointing season, and Jet fans who have followed the team that long you know, certainly remember what the expectations were. But not like this year. I think, I think this year is even worse because of the excitement of Rodgers coming in. In 99, it was just the Jets coming back with pretty much the same team and just expecting to do better than they did the year before. Here, one of the worst teams in the league all of a sudden was being, you know, made this amazing transition into people thinking they were going to the Super Bowl. And after four plays, the season was over. I mean, it's amazing. I went to that game, Pat. I got stuck in traffic. I was just going with my family. We were just sitting in the stands. And I got stuck in traffic. And I got to the game, and Rodgers was already done for the year. I didn't even see the four plays. He was gone so fast. And I know there's like a collective feeling in the pit of the stomach of Jet fans like, oh, it's just going to be like last year with Zach Wilson. And and it turned out to be like last year, if not even worse, because he didn't get any better. So – that's a long-winded way of saying this year is just right at the top of disappointments for Jet fans. You know, Gary, you go through the AFC and teams that are either already in the playoffs or still alive for playoff spots that have had quarterback issues this season. Cleveland is starting their fifth quarterback tomorrow. Uh, the Steelers mm-hmm. are on their third quarterback. Cincinnati lost Burrow, and they were able to hang in the picture until last week. Mm-hmm. The Indianapolis Colts, you know, it goes on and on. Where do you think, if if the Jets handled the quarterback situation differently, do you think that they could have kept in the playoff picture till now? You know, that, that's a great question because I know after Flacco's run of success here, people are saying, well, you know, the Jets had him for the last three years, at least parts of the last three years, and why didn't they bring him back when Rodgers got hurt? But, Pat, realistically, if Aaron Rodgers didn't get hurt on the fourth play, he probably would have got hurt in the second game or the fourth game or the sixth game because that, what that offensive line is all about. And we saw Joe Flacco behind that offensive line, and he wasn't very effective. So to bring him in when Rodgers got hurt, I, I wouldn't have expected him to do any better than he did the last few years. And I think you can say the same about almost any veteran quarterback, that it's, it's very, very difficult to function behind that offensive line and it would have been very difficult for Aaron Rodgers to function behind it if he hadn't gotten hurt. So to me, they went all in on Rodgers. He kind of hijacked the franchise for a year. Um, they had the worst case scenario of getting hurt right away. But I, I, after seeing what the offensive line became this year, um, I don't know if Rodgers had not gotten hurt in the first game, and if even if he had stayed healthy the whole year, I don't know how many games the Jets would have won because he would have been on his back so often. So you can blame, you know, I think Joe Douglas made a miscalculation, not at least bringing somebody in who can function, because uh, we know that Zach Wilson can't, but I don't really know how many more games they would have won because the offensive line probably precluded that. We're talking with longtime NFL writer and author Gary Myers. His book, Once a Giant, a story of Victory, Tragedy, and Life After Football, available now on Amazon and other outlets. Um, the intrigue surrounding this 
Jets-Patriots game, though, Gary, is on the other side. It's obviously on the, the Pats side, and it pertains to arguably the greatest head coach in NFL history and Bill Belichick and whether or not this will be his final game with the team. What do you think the future holds for Belichick after this game? If Robert Kraft has not made up his mind as of yet to come up with an exit strategy for Belichick, um, I think that'll develop this week. I, I don't think he'll be back. I, I believe the only way he can, he will be back is if they have the meeting and Kraft is a little bit open-minded and Belichick comes in with a detailed plan of how he's going to fix the offense. Because the defense is good enough, and it's been good enough without – you know, Matthew Judon and, and Gonzalez are really good rookie corner. You know, both those guys have out most of the year, and the defense is still really good. So it's the offense that needs fixing. Belichick would have to convince Kraft, like, okay, we swung and missed on Matt Jones. Matt Jones, but we're going to get a quarterback in this draft, and this is why it's going to be different. I don't think my gut feeling is that Kraft and Belichick will come to a mutual decision that they're, they're better off, like, okay, it's been – 24 years, it's enough. You go your way, we'll go ours. So to me, the only question, Pat, is with Belichick having a year to go on his contract, um, Robert Kraft did not become a multi-billionaire by giving away assets. So there's no doubt in my mind he's going to try to trade Belichick. I mean, he, he traded Parcells to the Jets. He traded for Belichick from the Jets. Sean Payton got traded. John Gruden got traded. It happens all the time. So I can't see... Kraft just saying, okay, thanks for the six Super Bowls. Uh, let's go our separate ways and go do whatever you want. I, I can't imagine that's going to happen. I don't think he's going to look at it like he owes Belichick his freedom when he has a year to go on his contract. He's going to want draft picks to help replenish the roster. So uh, I think it could get a little messy there, uh, depending on how Kraft handles it next week. Do you think Belichick wants to coach again next year, whether it's in New England or somewhere else? A hundred percent. I mean, I lost track. I think he's like 15 or 16 behind Shula on the all-time winning list, including the playoffs, which is how most people look at it. He's coached this long and he's come this close. So to me, it's a no-brainer that he's going to want to continue coaching, Pat. Uh, and the other thing that I, people should not underestimate, let me put it in this context. I think the Brady versus Belichick argument at the time Brady left, you could make an argument on both sides of who is more responsible. And what's happened after they separated, I think has swung the pendulum back to Brady or, or very much in Brady's favor, even though what's happened since he left has really nothing to do with what they accomplished when they were together. It doesn't change who's responsible for what when they were together. But I think the overriding feeling is that, look, Tom won a Super Bowl in his first year without Belichick, and Belichick made the playoffs once in four years without Brady, and they got killed in that game. So I think it's really important for Belichick to go to a place where he can win right away and, and, and pass Shula within two years and have a legitimate chance of winning a Super Bowl in two years. So to me, the most logical team are the Chargers. I think they have a ready-made roster uh, and a quarterback for Belichick and the dark horse. And I've been saying this all year is Dallas mm. that if the Cowboys are one and done or two and done in the playoffs and don't get to an NFC championship game. And they haven't been to one since 1995. I can see Jerry Jones who's now in his 80s saying, 
I got a chance to hire the greatest coach in NFL history with a roster that's ready to win a Super Bowl, and the missing piece is a great coach. I, I can really envision the pieces falling into place for Belichick to wind up in Dallas. That would be something. Um, Gary, the book, uh, we, you and I spoke towards the beginning of the football season. Uh, the book's been out for yeah. a while since then. Once a Giant, a story of victory, tragedy, and life after football. Uh, looking back uh, on and telling some great stories of it, and also fast-forwarding it to kind of present day of one of the most intriguing sports teams we've ever enjoyed in this town, the 86 Giants. Yeah, and the book came out September 12th, and I appreciate you mentioning it. It continues to sell really well. And it was, I got so many notes on Twitter, people taking screenshots of it and say they got it for Christmas and they can't wait to read it. So you know, that's really gratifying when you write a book for people to react that way. But I, I think you know the, the general reaction I've gotten to it, Pat, is that, wow, we thought we knew the 86 Giants, but we didn't know all these behind-the-scenes stories in 86 about how they became a brotherhood and all the practical jokes they pulled on each other. But most of all, they didn't know the stories about what these players are going through today, which is really the focus of the book is the challenges these guys face, you know, both from a mental uh, health standpoint and a physical standpoint and financially, a lot of them are struggling. Uh, they played in the generation in the eighties when they weren't making anywhere near the money that these players make today. The health insurance was inadequate I and mean, it still is once a player retires but back then it was like either 12 or 18 months of coverage after they retired when these guys biggest problems don't happen until their 40s 50s and 60s and they're not covered by the nfl anymore so it's actually you know obviously a, a big argument on how responsible the nfl should be for the taking care of the future health of its players and it's just really a, a ton of stories in the book about the biggest names this, this team had in 86 and really some heartwarming stories and the heartbreaking stories where, you know, a handful of players were on the record with me telling me how things got so bad in their post football life that they considered suicide. And, you know, fortunately uh, they came out the other side of that, got, got things straightened out, saw the proper uh, medical people and um, almost all of them are doing really well today. Available. Uh, of, of those guys I just mentioned about the mental health issues. Available, Gary, on Amazon. Anywhere else uh, that you want to mention? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can go into your favorite bookstore, Barnes & Noble. All the online sites have it. Um, Amazon, obviously. And um, Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's what I call like an evergreen book in that it's not – the relevance of it is not going to change whether you read it three months ago or you read it three months from now that um, the stories and, and the and the compelling nature of the stories won't change. And um, and I, I think, you know, you may agree with me on this. This by far was the most popular of the Giants' four Super Bowl championship teams. Belichick, Parcells, Sims, Taylor, Banks, Bavaro, Marshall, you know, some of the biggest and best names in, in Giants history. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a good relationship with all of them. Uh, including Belichick, and they're all interviewed extensively in my book. Well, Gary, always great to connect with you. Maybe we can have you on in a couple of weeks as we get deeper into the NFL playoffs, but enjoy the Week 18 action. There's a lot going on this weekend. Yeah, and unfortunately for Jets and Giants fans, the best day of the year is going to be the draft again. And 
I know they're getting tired of hearing that. We are back to that in this town, and we'll be talking plenty of that leading up to the uh, April draft. Gary, thanks a lot, and continue good luck with the book. Take care, Pat, and Happy New Year to all your listeners and to you. You too, Gary. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Pat O'Keefe, back with you. Thanks to Gary Myers for hopping on and getting us set for Week 18 of the NFL regular season. It kicks off about an hour and a half from now. Pittsburgh at Baltimore. The Steelers need to win that game and a loss by either Buffalo or Jacksonville and they would be going back to the playoffs. And then a really big game tonight. Both of these are on ESPN television, by the way. Houston at Indianapolis. The winner is in the playoffs. And the winner would also still have a chance to win the division, depending on the Jacksonville-Tennessee game tomorrow. Of course, you have the Jets in New England tomorrow at 1. Giants hosting Philadelphia tomorrow at 425. Uh, We were following earlier the St. John's-Villanova game. St. John's trying to hold on. It's 67 to 55. They're up by 12 in Philadelphia with about three and a half minutes to go. Uh, Big weekend of football. It culminates on Monday night with the college football national championship game. A couple of undefeated teams, Michigan and Washington. And uh, our own Joe Leo, a diehard Wolverines fan, so, Joe, how are we feeling about, what, 72 hours, 48 hours from the start of the national championship game that it's been a uh, long and turbulent road to for Michigan? Well, they haven't actually been to one since I was born in 97. Uh, you were born in 97? Born that was in 97. The they won the national championship that year, right? Yep. I was yet to be alive when they actually hoisted, hoisted okay. the trophy wow. then. Hopefully some of those diamonds in that shiny football will, will turn blue. Uh not as nervous as I thought I would be. Definitely not as nervous as before the Bama game last weekend. I think the one place that Washington lacks defensively is where Michigan shines, and that's running the football. Michigan did not use Blake Corum, I thought, to the fullest potential against Bama. I hope that's the case against Washington. Donovan Edwards is also tremendous. They will get um, they'll, they'll get Wilson involved in the passing game. I hope J.J. McCarthy just doesn't throw the ball 25 times. I know a lot of people are high on him in the draft. I don't get it. I've watched every single game of that man's collegiate career. Whenever he throws the ball more than 20 times, I I feel like I'm having a heart attack because I don't trust him. And if Washington does actually win this game, Penix will go nuts. Um, I don't believe Washington's offensive line can hold up to the Michigan pass rush. Basically, it's just run the football more and do exactly what you did against Alabama, and that's bully them up front on both of the lines. And hopefully Jim Harbaugh is hoisting that shiny football. And yeah. Maybe. Well, win or lose, is this his last game as the Michigan head coach? I think so. I, I think based on the way his actions have gone, he's turned that program around completely. He's done everything except win the national championship. He's beaten Ohio State three years running. He's actually won a playoff game, which would his only tarnish on his resume to this point. Mm-hmm. And right now, what better jobs are out there than you know the the Charger job, the Patriot job if it opens up, Washington if they get you know one of these top quarterbacks, that's a very attractive job. 
Who knows what's going on in Chicago? He's a former Bear player, so that would be almost kind of poetic that he resurrects his alma mater and then goes to Chicago and turns that football program around. So I definitely believe he will be coaching somewhere in the NFL next year, not in Ann Arbor. Well, good luck on Monday night. It's Michigan and Washington. I think last I saw Michigan was about a five-point favorite, so hopefully we finally get a good competitive game in the national championship. Last year, Georgia and TCU was anything but that. But Joe, Harvey, thanks as always for your work producing the show, and also thanks to Gary Myers for hopping on to talk about the end of the football regular season. Uh, I'll be back at 6.30 for Knicks pregame coverage, Knicks and Wizards, which starts at 7 o'clock. Ty Butler coming up next. Have a great day, everyone, on ESPN New York. The Knicks can get to the NBA Finals. Go.